lost. All right, so I'm, I'm, are we we're good? All right, raise your hand. I know I'm asking you to raise a hand in a Presbyterian church. Um, raise your hand in here if you have never heard a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. That's exactly what I thought. Turn with me to Galatians 5. What we're going to do today is I want to set what Paul is doing with the fruit of the Spirit into the broader redemptive historical realities that are, are the foundation of why he mentions the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians 5. Because so often, I've heard lots of sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. I've heard Bible studies on the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the common things that I have seen in those, or heard uh, in, those, in those sermons and studies is the fruit of the Spirit often gets treated as if it's just the Christian alternative to the Greek virtues, the, the virtues that were promoted by Plato and, 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 and other uh, Greek philosophers, uh, virtues that were often, uh, uh, that, that study of the Greek virtues that you saw uh, quite often in several of the founding fathers of this country, Benjamin Franklin being one of them, who loved to discuss uh, the virtues. And if you haven't read his stuff on that, I, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, he's done some wonderful thinking. But what I want us to make sure we don't do this morning is treat the fruit of the Spirit as if it's just a Christian alternative to a set of virtues. It is not. It is something so much grander, and it is something so much greater. And that's what I want to help us to see this morning. I'm going to read from Galatians 5.1, and then I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us as we sit before your word this morning to sit as children, not to bring our knowledge to you, not to bring our thoughts to you, not to bring our opinions to you, but help us to learn. Help us like children to be those sponges that soak up your truth, that soak up your wisdom, that soak up your very life and presence that are communicated to us even through this outward and ordinary means of preaching your word. And help us to have that faith that is childlike so that we would be able to live to your glory as statues and monuments and trophies of your grace which direct glory to you and bring us your joy. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There is so much going on in this letter that Paul has written to the Galatians. There's several different uh, big themes that he is dealing with, but one of the biggest things that he's dealing with in the overall picture is not simply a theological problem. What he is dealing with is how that bad theology is fleshing itself out in a congregation. And the way it's fleshing itself out in a congregation is you have people who are promoting things that are not true. Some of what is being promoted that is not true is this idea that if you truly are going to be a follower of God, then simple faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. In addition to faith, you also have to add to that these different badges of the Jewish faith. Yes, you have to have faith, but you also need to be circumcised. Yes, you have to have faith, but you also have to eat the right things and not eat the wrong things. Yes, you got to have faith, but you got to keep the calendar. You got to do the sacrifices. You've got to keep the feasts. Part of the struggle here in the churches of Galatia is you have a coming together, people that are from a Jewish background and people from a Gentile background, and there's confusion. There's confusion about, well, what does following God look like for people who were not born Jewish, who did not 
uh, who were not born in the covenant, who were not born as those uh, who had inherited the promises. Part of the problem in all of this is with the focus on these outward badges, there is a lot or a very a, a huge lack of focus on them embodying the life and presence of God. You have two extremes going on in this setting. You have the legalists and you have the licentious. You have the legalists who are trying to create righteousness in people out of the law, but the righteousness they're trying to create is just external performance. And you have other people who say, oh, no, 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 I'm in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I'm free from the law. I don't have to keep the law. I'm in Christ. I have everything in Christ. I'm in Christ. Do we preach that you're in Christ here at this church? Please say yes. <laughs> but if you're in Christ, if, if God is perfectly satisfied with his son and that satisfaction is imputed to me, I'm free. There's nothing for me to do but just wait for Jesus to come back. And the way that I live until that time isn't a big deal because I'm in Christ. You have these two extremes, these, these, these two misapplications, these two misembodiments of what it means to be in Christ. And Paul is trying to deal with these two extremes because the result within this, this particular group of churches to whom he's writing is that they are tearing each other apart oh you're not circumcised <laughs> you're not as spiritual as i am oh oh you're concerned about what you eat <laughs> well you're not free in christ like i am you see how it works and it becomes this contest of who's more spiritual on the basis of the misunderstanding and misembodiment of two extremes that have nothing to do with the truth of jesus christ Paul is dealing with this, and he's trying to deal with these two extremes of where is true righteousness found, and what does it look like if you have that true righteousness in you? And he is discussing, therefore, this fruit of the Spirit within this context of a local church. I know it's hard for us to imagine, but a local church who are fighting with each other over issues of who has really got the real truth. Who really knows what God has said? Who's got the right theology? And who's really living that out in the right way? It's hard to imagine a church doing that. But there's a church doing that. That's the setting. And what Paul does not do is say, well, let me give you a list of virtues for you to work on so that you guys can stop fighting. That's not what he does. What he does is he borrows from Old Testament expectations and images 
that are seen throughout the Old Testament, that are seen especially in the Psalms and in the prophetic books, of grounding them in the identity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ as those who are part of the covenant and inheritor of the promises. And one of the places you see this most clearly is in the unfolding of the book of Isaiah. You probably have never read it that way. My encouragement, my challenge. See, I start to give challenges because some of you actually do them. And that's so fun. My challenge is to this week, block out a period of time and sit down and start reading in Isaiah 1 and read all the way through Isaiah 66 in one sitting. Yes. And read it out loud. And you will see things in this book. You'll see some weird stuff that you're like, what does that mean? Don't worry about that. Keep going. Right? But there's enough that is clear. And one of the, one of the, what I would tell you is, I would encourage you, if you decide to do this, let your eye look for the images of vine, fruit, garden, because that's what Isaiah is all about. And as you read through it, there is a progression. In Isaiah 5, God says, Let me sing for my beloved, his people, my love song concerning his vineyard. His people are being referred to as his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the middle of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But instead, it yielded wild grapes. And now, I will tell you what I will do with this vineyard of wild grapes. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and, it shall, and I shall, uh, it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall, be prune, it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, outcry. In other places, God talks about when he took his people out of Egypt. He talks about removing his vine from Egypt to plant it in the promised land of Canaan. And the purpose of planting that vine in the promised land was that they were to grow and they were to take in and they were to embrace their God. And as a result, they were to then embody their God, embodying his life, embodying his, his, uh, his character, who he is and what he had said to his people. And as such, they were to then be a reflection of God to the nations in order that those from every tribe, tongue, and nation could know God. But they didn't, 
bear the fruit they were supposed to bear. Instead, they chased after the gods of the nations. They did not love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Instead, what they did was they chased after the other gods. And the result of chasing after the other gods, the result of implementing idol worship with regards to the other gods and the gods of the nations, guess what happened? The characteristics that they took on of as a people were the characteristics of the false gods. David tells us in Psalm 115 that you become what you worship. And so they had taken on the embodiment of the false gods. And guess what happened? They were not a people that were characterized by the, the chesed wa'emeth of God, the, the loving kindness and mercy of God. Instead, they were characterized by the self-serving enslavement of the foreign gods. The way the foreign gods worked and the, the way the different foreign cosmogonies worked of the different people groups throughout uh, that, that area of, of the ancient uh, uh, region there was that they believed that their gods were created um, and that they, cre uh, that they were created out of these bigger gods and that the gods created people to be their slaves. Why? Well, because their gods were lazy. Their gods didn't want to work. Their gods didn't want to do the things. They just wanted to party and celebrate and have a good time. And so we'll create people as our slaves and let them do the work, and we get to benefit off of what they do. That was the worldview of those different pagan nations. And as the people of God took on the worship of those gods, they took on the, 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 the worldviews of those gods. And they started to see life from the perspective of if I can be the strongest person, then I can get others to do what I want. And so rather than Israel being a place where justice was found, it was a place of injustice. Rather than it being a place of love, it was a place of self-service, self-focus. Instead of it being a place of, of truth, it was a place of falsehood. Instead of it being a place of mercy, it was a place of taking things from people. Do you see what's going on here? And they have broken the covenant. And back in Deuteronomy, God said, when you go into the land, watch out for the foreign gods, because if you don't, then you're going to become like, the, you're going to become like them. And what did they do? But back in Deuteronomy, also God said, guess what, when you do that, you may be faithful, faithless to your side of the covenant, I'm going to be faithful to mine. And I will execute covenant justice. And I will bring judgment against you. And what he is saying here in Isaiah 5 is this is, come, this is coming to pass. This is going to come to pass. Hundreds of years in the future. You've broken the covenant. I'm about to institute covenant justice. And I'm going to judge you. I'm going to allow the enemies that I have been keeping out of your land, I'm going to allow them to come in. The blessings of the fruit of the harvest, I'm not going to allow it to grow anymore. The safety and the rest and the peace in which you live, you're not going to enjoy that anymore. 
you're going to go through a time of judgment. And eventually, you're going to be taken out of the land yourself. And he describes this through the imagery of a vineyard, where the wall will be knocked down, and what God is going to do is he is going to take that vineyard, and he is going to raise it to the ground. It's always a weird, weird word, right? Raise it to the ground. He's going to cut it down. He's going to chop it all down. But one of our favorite passages in Advent, Isaiah 11, God promises that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, are you hearing that language in in a different way now? That vineyard that God had completely cut down, he is starting over. But it's not completely new. It's still connected to the promises and the covenants of the past. But a new shoot, a new growth is going to come out of what God cut down. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. He's not going to bear the wild fruit. He's going to bear the fruit that God is looking for. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Everything that the Israelites were not, this servant who is coming, this Messiah who is coming, he is going to be what the people of God were supposed to be, but were not because of their sin. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what, he's, by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The, the chesed, what emeth of God, is going to be what keeps him together. And what's the result? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. From Ecclesiastes, the race is not to the swiftest. God is going to create a new thing. And a new shoot will rise up. A new shoot will become a new vine. And God says then in Isaiah 27, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. God is going to bring about a new vineyard. And he's going to sing about it. And the Lord is its keeper. And every moment he will water it, lest anyone punish it. And he will keep it night and day. He is going to protect this vineyard. He is going to water this vineyard. He is going to cultivate this vineyard. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. And Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots. And it will fill the whole world with 
Do you see what's going on here? Do you see the unfolding picture of what God is promising through this servant who will come, who, who will be uh, uh, anointed by and empowered by and filled with the Holy Spirit? And through that enablement, he is going to become the vine that Israel was supposed to be but was not. He is going to become the vine that is going to cause branches to come off of him. And he is going to be the vine that is bearing the fruit of God. And as the branches come off of him, those branches are also going to bear the fruit of God. As the Messiah comes, anointed with, strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 32, beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars, yes, for all the joyous houses in the exultant city, for the palaces forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy, uh, uh, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And righteousness will abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever and my people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings in quiet resting places do you hear what's going on God's people his vineyard were to bear fruit in keeping with who God had made them to be but they had not and so God is judged but God has provided them the hope of a savior and that Savior will do what they have failed to do. He is a new shoot, a new vine. He is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about what is lacking. And the result of what he is going to do is not going to be limited to the nation of Israel. It's not even going to be limited to the southern kingdom to whom Isaiah is addressing. It is going to be worldwide. Because the fruit that, that God's people were to bear was always for the purpose of not only worship, but mission. And God's purposes were always worldwide. Out of the stump of Jesse, a new shoot will pop. One who will be anointed by strengthened by the presence of the Holy Spirit, who will then pour out that Spirit on those who are connected to him. Where Jesus tells us in John 15, I am the vine. Y'all, and that is what it says in the Greek. Y'all are the branches. Is this starting to come together for you? To be in Christ is to have received the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, 
whereby you are engrafted into the very life of Christ. Where like the branches it is, is coming out of the vine, where there is this organic connection where the life of the blind uh, of the vine starts flowing into the branches as they grow and as they mature and as they bear fruit, that this life of Jesus Christ takes up residence within those who are connected to them, to him who has received the outpouring of the promised Holy Spirit, which Paul tells us in Ephesians is a guarantee of what is coming that if you have the spirit you have been justified you have been adopted you are glorified in Christ you have received all the blessings of the heavenly places in Christ and in Christ now his life is in you and that life of him will start coming out of you and the result is a world wide vineyard of God. Read Revelation 22 later if you want to see that. From the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2 to what is better than Eden in Revelation 22. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from where you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and Sarah who bore you, for he, has but one, uh, he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. And joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. That is from Isaiah 51. What does a church that is struggling with a misunderstanding of what it means to be in Christ, what do they need to hear? A church that because of that struggle are, are fighting among one another. Where they are not exhibiting the life of Christ. Where they are not exhibiting the fruit of Christ. The fruit that is promised to those who are following God. What do they need? To be a place in which the justice of God is found. Where the righteousness of God is found. Where the love of God is found. Where the mercy of God is found. Where the truth of God is found. Where the rest of God is found. Where the peace of God is found. Where the life of God is found. What do they need? They need to be reminded of who they are as those who are engrafted into the true vine. And to remember that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. But as those connected to Jesus Christ, 
what they are a part of is this grand redemptive narrative that God through his spirit anointed fruit bearing servant and through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit will cause the earth to break forth in fruitfulness and this fruitfulness is likened to a gar- the garden temple of Eden where God will create the new heavens and the new earth by his son and spirit not only to be a verdant and fruitful kingdom like the first creation, but it will be marked by the eternal security of righteousness and godliness forevermore, where no evil will enter, will be able to enter into it. Revelation 21. That's what you need. And that's what I need. Every day. To not allow the narrative, and by this I'm not getting political, not allowing the narrative of the world, a narrative that tells you, look, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. The narrative of the world that says, look, live your best life now, and if that means you have to hurt people along the way, then that's okay. The narrative of the world that says, you know what, don't worry, don't get so caught up about trying to be righteous in this world. That's just going to make things unnecessarily difficult for you. Just fudge here and there. The narrative of the world that will say to you, look, the only benefit that your religion has for you is if it provides you an immediate worldly, and worldly not meaning sinful, but just of the world, payoff. Why would you invest in something where you don't get the payment until possibly later after you die? That's silly. Get it here. Get it now. You see, the narrative of the world that we live in here in American culture is no different than the narrative of the world that the Israelites went into when they went into the promised land as those who had been redeemed out of Egypt. They went into that. And they didn't deal with it well, and as a result, they forgot who they were. And they did not live as those who were reflections of the life of God. Instead, they lived as a reflection of the gods around them. And as a result, they went after one another in the name of Jesus. I'm more spiritual than you because I can drink alcohol and I'm not concerned about it. I'm more spiritual than you because I believe alcohol is inherently evil and wicked. Right? I can keep going. This is what you need for you to ground your daily following of God in the grand redemptive story of the vine and the branches and to connect yourself in a purposeful way every morning to who you are in Jesus Christ as one who has has a life that is growing out of his where his life through the outpouring of the spirit is swelling within you this is what it means when Paul says walk by the spirit realize that God in Jesus Christ, 
through the Holy Spirit is doing this thing within you and has drawn you into this magnificent narrative. And let that tell you who you are. Let that tell, determine for you how you live. Let that be the basis of your spirituality and your fellowship with one another. Not in general, in this congregation. Well, we don't allow the standards and the ideas out there to determine how we live with one another in here. But we allow what, who God is who has taken up residence within us to form us and shape us as his people as we interact with one another who are going to have challenges and disagreements because sin is still a reality. If you, by faith, are connected to Jesus Christ, then here's what you need to remember. Christ, through his spirit, is causing his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his goodness, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his self-control to be cultivated within you and if you will just get out of its way, then the life of Christ that dwells within you will be shown through you to a world that is in desperate need of those things. As it is a world of hate, as it is a world of sadness, as it is a world that is in conflict, as it is a world that says, get it now, that is a world that doesn't care about one another, as it is a world that loves to celebrate what is evil, as it loves to say what is good, what's, it loves to call evil good, and it likes to call good evil, as we are in a world that believes in harsh strength that might makes right, as we are in a world that says self-control is for idiots. Grab it with the gusto today. This is who you are. Live this out within your own heart, with one another within these walls, so that we, as those who have worshipped here together, take that out into this world. Jesus says, I am the vine. Beloved, you are his branches. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing truth that you have taken the eternal realities of who you are and are using them to reform us and reshape us and renew us in Jesus Christ. That we as individuals and we as a congregation serve as a temple of your Holy Spirit. Where we are like miniature little gardens of Eden that you have planted here within this world to, to show forth life within the wilderness of death. And so bless us, Lord, as we repent of living lives disconnected from Christ. Forgive us as we live lives focused on ourselves and using people to justify the, the things that we do. Forgive us, Lord, for buying into the narrative of the American culture, whether on the right or on the left. 
Forgive us, Lord, for being formed and shaped by anything other than what it means to be your vineyard. And so, Lord, thank you that you continue to cultivate us. You continue to bring life to us. You continue to cut away the things that get in the way of that life. As you cut away those the leftovers of death. And as you give us the future promise that is already made, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ, of life forevermore, as those dwelling as your garden temple forevermore in the perfections of your holiness that you have given as a gift and that we have received only by faith. Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.